At Baptist Health South Florida, it's our mission to care for you when you're injured or sick and help you stay healthy and fit. Welcome to the Baptist Health Talk podcast, where our respected experts bring you timely, practical health and wellness information to improve your family's quality of life. Welcome Baptist Health Talk podcast listeners. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Fialco. I'm a preventative cardiologist and lipidologist at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute, where I'm also Chief of Cardiology at Baptist Hospital and the Chief Population Health Officer at Baptist Health. It's probably no surprise to hear that, on average, men pay less attention to their health than women. Men certainly are much less likely to seek medical attention when they're not feeling well. The question is why? Why are men more prone to skipping the screenings and checkups that could potentially add years to their lives? Since June is Men's Health Month, in the latest episode of Baptist Health Resource Live program, we brought together a panel of experts to talk about steps men can take to get healthier. My guests were Dr. Michael Swartzen, a primary care sports medicine physician at Miami Orthopedic and Sports Medicine Institute, Dr. Ahmed Eldafrari, a urologic oncologist at Miami Cancer Institute, and Dr. Elliot Elias, medical director of structural imaging at Miami Cardiac and Vascular Institute. Let's hear what they had to say. So Michael, let's have you kick it off. We know that many men do put off going to the doctor as long as possible. They don't think of themselves as having medical issues, uh, whether it's denial or you know, the macho uh, component. Um, um, but sometimes that's even when they're having symptoms. Why, why do you think and are there any studies that show why men are less likely to go to a doctor, both for preventive services or even when they may start having any complaints? Yeah, for the most part, uh, men very much like to, to go about their daily lives and not disrupt their routine. Uh, taking off of work to go and see a doctor is simply not something that they typically would want to do. Um, and it's been my experience that most of the time it's either a severe problem or their wife brings them in. And, and it's really a, a you kind of nailed it before. I think some of it is cultural and, and some of it is just uh, upbringing. So, so, that, so Michael, so do you see in your, in your practice, um, you know, in primary care within um, Miami, Orthopedi- Miami Orthopedic Sports Medicine, do you see men coming to you that it's, it's kind of like, dude, what took you so long? Or, you know, why'd you wait so long? Are you actually seeing that in your practice? Basically, people will come to me when all the things that they could try at home have failed. And they're limited with either their uh, activities at work or their uh, activities for uh, their weekend warrior, their tennis. And, and they're really not interested in stopping what they're doing. And so it's really only when the problem becomes severe that they're limited that they show up. Appreciate that. Elliot, um, um, cardiology standpoint, but again, this is, this is general. Um, you know, again, we said men tend to avoid going to the doctor. They can sometimes ignore unusual symptoms that you might look at and say, hey, you know, wh- why are you ignoring that? What, what are the kind of things that men should be aware of, even those that feel relatively well, um, that might negatively impact their health as they get older? Yeah, so as cardiologists, our favorite type of medicine practice is preventative medicine. So for those patients that haven't quite reached us in clinic, we try to identify for them those risk factors that are both modifiable and non-modifiable for um, prevention of coronary artery disease. So the typical ones that we focus on are high blood pressure, cholesterol, obesity, physical inactivity, diabetes, 
And we always, of course, know that we want to encourage everyone to, to promote further healthy lifestyles, such as not smoking and limit their alcohol abuse. So, so those are the, the, the big things that would be part of just a general checkup and things that a man should be aware of to determine are they at risk for medical problems. And I think it's important to point out of the ones you mentioned, high cholesterol and high blood pressure don't produce symptoms. So people will not know if they have those medical conditions um, unless they get checked out, whether it's they check their own blood pressure or have someone check it or get blood tests to look at their cholesterol. So that's great information. Uh, Michael, let, let, let's kick it back to you regarding um, um, exercise. A um, um, couple of things that I think your expertise can bring to this, this conversation um, in terms of not just what would be recommendations for exercise for men, especially as we get older, but what can a man expect from their ability to exercise? I see it a little bit because a lot of times when men, a man's conditioning decreases over time, they may think it's a cardiac condition. What, what would you recommend in terms of general statements regarding exercise in men? And then secondly, um, what can one expect as they age regarding their exercise um, ability and performance? These are very, very important questions uh, or topics. Exercise is a very key ingredient in how we move forward uh, and prevent cardiovascular and other issues that men have. Men will get frustrated just like women as, as they age, things just won't work exactly the same way. The aging process is very difficult. It's very individualized, but overall, most people will notice that their, their muscles become a little weaker, their body becomes a little tighter, and so the, the warm-up and, and cool-down period becomes a little bit longer to have the same, to maintain the same flexibility and strength. There's articles all the time that are coming out. Um, the main guideline that we use from the American College of Sports Medicine is 150 minutes a week of cardiovascular exercise and 150 minutes a week of resistance training. Uh, this is very important for men. Uh, you worry about blood pressure, you worry about erectile dysfunction, you worry about uh, being able to sustain in, in your life. If you don't use it, you'll, you will lose it and it'll be so much harder later. And there's constantly show studies that show that middle age is such an important time for you to engage in moderate exercise activity. I think that's great information, and all the points you made are are, um, are really critical um, for um, uh, anyone, but certainly for a man. Can you speak a little bit, you just mentioned if you use it, you lose it. Um, can you speak a little bit, and again, just from the expectations such that, you know, a 20-year-old athletic person who might get away from exercise a few weeks can kind of get back into it. If someone's going to either start exercising or they got away from it and got back into it as they get older, both precautions and expectations in terms of um, um, age-related conditioning. Can you speak to that a little bit? Yeah, so there's there's this uh, kind of fallacy that if, as you get older, you have to have, you have to be weaker and you have to be smaller. Uh, that's, that's not necessarily true. You can maintain a lot of your cardiovascular fitness level and a lot of your strength. You see a lot of marathon runners are older and, and, and you develop that kind of veteran savvy. And so it really becomes uh, not only physical, but mental. You need to create the time and, and vary your routine to continue to exercise. And you may pick up an injury or two on the way, which may mean that you need to adapt. And, and instead of 
you know, high impact, long distance running, you switch to cycling or swimming, uh, you have back problems, maybe you need to do some Pilates. So certainly you need to be open to varying your routine, but you have to keep pushing. If you don't overload the system, you'll, you won't continue to maintain what you have. I love that last comment and, and concept. Um, um, how, how often do I see, and again, I'm sure you see it even more, you know, a, a man, middle-aged, a little bit older, might have had their routine, fairly fit, and they hurt their knee, they stop exercising, they gain weight, and they say, oh, but I couldn't exercise anymore, I hurt my knee, and I'm like, well, there's lots of other things you can do that, you know, <laughs> might both spare your knee and whatnot. So uh, adapt, find out, you know, what your body can handle, um, age-related. I think those are great recommendations, and I think uh, people should uh, recognize that. And, and don't forget to adjust your diet as you're exercising less, right? Yeah, because yeah. The, the snowball effect that I see is people have a, a minor injury, they'll, they'll rest, then they gain weight, then their knee or hip will hurt more, and then they exercise less and they gain more weight, and then all of a sudden you used to be a very active person and now you're not, and it's very hard to to, you know, go back the other way. I, 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 again, I love these comments you're making. I, I appreciate this dialogue. It's very true. You can't exercise your way out of a bad diet. If someone has a certain level of age and nutrition and fitness and they're a certain weight, you break that, you take a variable out, like they're not exercising, they gain weight. They can't just resume the exercising it back where they are. They have to alter their diet appropriately. Absolutely. So, so great, great advice. Um, Elliot, let's turn it back to um, heart disease. Uh, obviously, uh, all these, com these components are very much related. Um, you mentioned the risk factors, the things that someone may look at or be told, hey, you have this, it could lead to this problem, let's look at it. What can, what can men do to stay on top of their heart health? Exercise, of course, and um, you know, as, as Michael mentioned, is, is, is extremely important. What other things would we be recommending to men as part of their general health um, in avoiding uh, heart disease? Yeah, so again, as as we talked about modifiable risk factors, um, exercise is great. Um, diet again is uh, comes to the forefront. Uh, lowering cholesterol even through diet is is, is ideal, and uh, even stress and ways to decompress I think is uh, something that's a big risk factor that we don't always see, and it, it's difficult to think about, but. Um, if you don't have time to, to release stress and, 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 and whether it's work or other issues that are going on, uh, then the blood pressure creeps up. And so, of course, we'd always like to um, treat something without medication, and that's something that I think goes under the radar. Elliot, I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit, um, which, I, which, which I've certainly done in the past. Um, let's talk about the coronary calcium score a little bit. The coronary calcium score, it's an incredibly safe and inexpensive an easy to attain test, which gives us a lot of information, but it's certainly fraught with a lot of inappropriate use or people getting wrong information from it a little bit. Um, you know, the coronary calcium test was actually developed by radiologists who in the Baptist Health System, you know, going back uh, over a decade ago. A calcium score is a powerful tool that we use for risk stratification in our asymptomatic patients. Now, I think a lot of confusion lies in the fact where you would think that if you got a score, then you would know how much blockage you have in your arteries. But really what you're focusing on is the amount of calcium in our arteries. Now, we know that calcium is a marker of coronary atherosclerosis, which predisposes you to heart disease. And so we, what we do with the score is quantify that amount of calcium 
And based on the amount of robust data that we've had over the last 20 years, we're able to risk stratify our patients based on their age, sex, and even ethnicity. And then we combine those with some of the other risk factors that we mentioned, and then we're able to appropriately classify them as either low, intermediate, or high risk. And I think it's a great tool that allows us to give a patient-centered treatment approach with a high amount of weight behind our treatment plan. Well said. The calcium score helps guide the clinician as to what's your risk of a cardiac event so we can appropriately lower the risk. It's not an indicator of blockage or, you know, you're going to have a heart attack in the near future. I remember when um, calcium scores first came out, people were getting them and they'd get a score and they'd run to the emergency room thinking, you know, it was something really bad. It's just a, it's just a risk prediction. Who should not get a calcium score? Again, you know, I've seen people who've had bypass surgery and they come in and say, should I get a calcium score? The calcium score is meant to tell me what's your chance of having coronary disease that could lead to a cardiac event. Well, you had bypass surgery. I kind of think we know you have coronary disease. So, so where, you know, can you speak to maybe where it doesn't help? And, and maybe second point of that, what if the calcium score is zero? What's the power of that, that score of zero? Sure, so, so I'll, I'll answer your second question, question first. first. Um, um, I had a patient recently, um, and his father and, and uncle actually died prematurely of coronary disease, which is uh, before the age of 55. And he was considering, um, actually he wasn't considering, he already put himself on a statin medication. Now granted his uncle and, and father um, smoked a lot and drank a lot, which we know are um, modifiable risk factors for coronary disease, but um, we decided to get him a calcium score and the calcium score was zero. And um, while he was on that medication, before the calcium score, he was having a lot of myalgias or muscle pain. And based on that calcium score, we made a joint decision to take him off that medication. So in short, to answer your, your question of what is the, the power of zero for a calcium score, we know that there's no proven benefit to treatment when a calcium score is zero. Um, Ahmed, switching, switching gears a little bit again, let's talk a little bit about you know, the prostate. Um, what is it? What does it do? Um, what are the symptoms or signs a man may have that should warrant them getting a follow-up regarding any prostate problems? You mentioned screening with PSAs, I think you said 50. So when should men start um, thinking of uh, relating a symptom to it? So the prostate is a gland. Uh, it's location between the bladder and the urethra. So it's exactly at the junction between the bladder and the urethra. Um, and uh, the urethra actually runs through the prostate, in the middle of the prostate. Uh, the function of the prostate gland is to secrete fluids that uh, provide nutrition for the, the uh, semen, to, for the sperms, to survive um, for uh, to survive their journey to the uh, That's the only only benefit for the prostate. So it's beneficial for uh, young fertile men. Um, one, two main issues about the prostate and the problem can arise from the prostate in men. One is enlarged prostate and voiding problems from the prostate, which have been in condition when the central part of the gland grows. And till today, no one knows why this part starts to grow with age. Uh, men usually start to experience symptoms with 
wake stream, having to wait to start urination, uh, having to wake up at night to urinate. And this is a benign condition, it's not cancer, it's just the prostate being larger, and since the units are under the middle of the, of that prostate gland, it can then narrow the stream and put some pressure to it. And for that, there are treatments, there are medications we try, the medications fail, we resort to surgery, if the symptoms are bothersome to the patient. If there are mild symptoms and doesn't bother the patient, we cannot do any treatments. That's for, that's for the benign part. So I think that I think I, I just again I'll let you finish, but again people know there's prostate cancer, which is a particular abnormality as you mentioned, and the PSA blood test and the digital exam. We are talking about much more common prostate-related concerns that a might man experience, which is not cancer-related. So I just want to clarify that as you go on. Correct. So I'm sorry. Continue. Yes. Yeah. yeah. The oh, second you're, problem. You're dropping, you're dropping out a little. You're dropping out a little bit there. That's why I wanted to clarify. I didn't mean to. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so the second problem that we need to address is the prostate cancer. And prostate cancer arises from the peripheral zone of the prostate, which means the outside part of the prostate. And like we said, one in six men get cancer. And in general, prostate cancer is not an aggressive kind of cancer, which um, can take many years to, um, to spread or kill someone. And with that being said, it's very curable early. And uh, being the most common cancer in men and the second most lethal cancer in men, we try to detect prostate cancer as early as possible and treat it and cure it um, uh, if we detect it early. So Michael, turning it back to you, this is actually a, a question I'm probably the most interested in the answer and only because, uh, again, receiving a lot of these questions as well. Testosterone. Um, Low T, uh, lots of marketing stuff out there. So first place, uh, again, um, what, is the, what does testosterone do? You know, important for, again, muscle bone mass, uh, helps libido, stores fat. We, we, you can get into whatever level of detail you want regarding what testosterone does if you're comfortable. But the real question is, what happens naturally to men's testosterone levels as we get older? And then when would it become a pathological condition where it should benefit from actually being treated or, or replaced? You know, low T is, is certainly in fashion, right? I listen to Sports Talk Radio, and every segment there's a commercial for it for someone. There's magazine articles. Um, here's what I'll say. Testosterone's a hormone that's really what gives you your manliness. There's no doubt about it. It peaks, you know, it starts shooting up at puberty, peaks kind of in your early adulthood, and then starting at about 40, you lose 1% to 2% per year. So as you age, there, there may be some symptoms that you notice, such as um, decreased libido, decreased muscle mass. Um, most of these are a normal part of aging, which you can counteract with, like I said, the exercise and other issues. Now, here's where the problem lies. A lot of times people have issues that they'll blame on testosterone that are really a function of a chronic illness, stress, alcoholism, obesity, which all those things actually also reduce testosterone. So you have people going to the doctor asking for testosterone treatments, thinking that's going to solve their problem when really there, there may be other factors at play that are more likely responsible for why they're feeling what they're feeling. Certainly it's a reasonable blood test to take 
Um, but and, and there's probably a million people on testosterone treatment, but it's not the easy solution. There's no shortcut. Right. And so uh, as much as as it may seem to be a, an easy way out, there usually is another reason why you're having the erectile dysfunction. And it's probably more diabetes and exercise related than your testosterone. Does that make sense? No, it's phenomenal. I love it. I should record it and put it in our, in our, in our, in our cardiovascular offices as well. Um, you know, testosterone is a fat soluble hormone. It's made by the body. We gain weight in the belly. The testosterone we make gets partitioned to the belly. So it's not, we're not making it. It's, it's just being sucked up somewhere else. And you talk about these lifestyle things that will lower your testosterone. It's obviously better to improve those lifestyle issues and your testosterone will normalize than taking the supplement. But as a follow-up to that, and it's a little controversial, so I, I recognize you know, I'm putting you on the spot. Um, if someone gets put on a testosterone replacement that really is not deficient in testosterone, it's secondary, their levels are low for other reasons, is there a danger to that? There, there is, um, you know, certainly we, we had some guys talk earlier, some of the physicians here talk about prostate cancer, more rarely people have uh, breast cancer. If you start taking testosterone, you could be hastening a problem that you're unaware of. Your red blood cell count could be much higher. You could develop sleep apnea. Um, if you're thinking about becoming a father, that could affect how you, you have children. Um, if you have heart issues, it could affect that. Uh, and certainly there's, there's issues with possible blood clots and other issues. So never a good idea to mess with a system that the body has going right. This is the body knows it's homeostasis or, or how to balance what levels you're at. The minute you start taking it by mouth or injecting it or patches or gels, you, you mess up your body's system and you, you there are risks for that. I love it. People want the quick fix, you know, get a little older, don't exercise as much, gain a little weight, drink a little more. Oh, let me take testosterone and it'll make it all better and, and there's right. obviously consequences to it. Man, you, you guys were really awesome. I really um, I can't tell you, again, I always, learn, learn, I always love learning from our guests and hopefully our listeners uh, got a lot of great information um, that they can use as well. As we wrap up this episode, I'd like to encourage all our listeners to please take a moment to give this podcast a five-star rating on whichever platform you listen to us on. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for future topics. You can email us at baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. That's baptisthealthtalk at baptisthealth.net. Thanks for listening and stay safe. Find additional valuable health and wellness information on our resource blog at baptisthealth.net slash news. And be sure to interact with us on our social media channels for live and upcoming events. This podcast is brought to you by Baptist Health South Florida, healthcare that cares.